Hi, my name is Ronnie Grayer, and this is the Monthly Safety Podcast for March of 2013. First, a little bit about me. I'm going into my 22nd year as a Greyhound driver, into my eighth year as a driver instructor, and I currently drive out of Syracuse, New York. Well, it's been a while since we've spoken. First, I'd like to say welcome. Welcome, new listeners. As always, previous episodes of the podcast are available to both listen and download, and I'll give you more information about that at the end of the podcast. As I said, it's been a while since we've last spoken, and I've got a lot of information that I'd like to cover today, so I'll get right into it. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is the continuing problem that we have with CSA 2010 and speeding, or more specifically, uh, our rising scores in certain basics, including unsafe driving and driver fitness. And those are a problem for us here at Greyhound. We have seen our scores exceed the 50% threshold, and at this point, we're approaching uh, nearly 60% in unsafe driving. And the biggest issue that we have is speeding. And let me try to break that down a little bit for you. What's happening is out on the road, it used to be generally accepted uh, for drivers in all vehicles to travel five miles over the limit at least. And that was something that we didn't think about. And recently, what we've seen more and more from law enforcement is that um, they will stop our drivers for traveling even one mile per hour over the posted speed limit and not necessarily to cite the driver for speeding but at that point once we're stopped then they can perform a full inspection on the bus and the driver and whether or not they find any violations they will note that uh, we were stopped for speeding and that'll go into that basic for unsafe driving and that just adds to our scores so we've got a problem there and we've got to try to bring that down and one of the things that we've seen is that KDEC is being um, used more and more to bring it to our driver's attention that they've been traveling over the posted speed limit. So we've got to be aware of that. However we do it, we've got to make sure that at all times we drive uh, below the posted speed limit, or certainly not above it, um, to minimize the chance of being uh, stopped for speeding and continuing to raise up those scores. We've got to get those scores down uh, because at this point we're being flagged for increased inspections by the DOT and the FMCSA due to our uh, rising score in certain basics. So uh, speeding definitely is something that we need to be aware of. And in some cases, like I said, it's a question of going a few miles over, even one or two miles over. But in some cases, we've seen our drivers going significantly higher than that. And one of the issues that we have are certainly in areas where there's a lot of road construction and the speed limit is constantly changing. And you have to watch all of your signs very carefully and be aware of your speed, uh, particularly when there are grades involved. But certainly, uh, we've seen road construction and we're seeing the speed limits change quite a bit on some of the roads uh, very quickly. So be aware of your surroundings, watch your road signs, and please, drivers, uh, watch your speed. Go along with that, we've got some information about this new uh, Motor Coach Task Force, National Motor Coach Task Force. And I'm going to read first from... Uh, Myron Watkins, VP of Customer Experience, in a memo dated February 15th of 2013, and it says the FMCSA has announced the National Safety Task Force for the motor coach industry. This means law enforcement will be targeting bus companies for vehicle and driver inspections. Federal motor carrier and law enforcement will be analyzing passenger carrier oversight systems and making routine stops of buses throughout the U.S. Vehicles will be inspected for equipment safety violations, and drivers will be stopped for speeding, following too closely, unsafe lane changes, impaired driving, and illegal use of cell phones. 
Greyhound has long been recognized as a leader in motor coach safety. Our professional drivers are the best in the business. Additionally, our extensive safety training program sets Greyhound apart from the other carriers. He goes on to say that as a true professional, we are asking each of you, our drivers, to demonstrate the true professional standards that set us apart from the rest of the industry. And that goes right along with the press release from the USDOT that is titled uh, Immediate Action to Target High-Risk Passenger Carriers. And so that's what's going on. We're seeing a lot of scrutiny uh, on the bus industry right now because there have been a rash of incidents, both uh, collisions and scrutiny on drivers. And um, certainly we've had these, like I said, we've had collisions with a few low bridges lately that are bringing a lot of attention to the motor coach industry. So we're seeing a lot more uh, attention from the USDOT and the FMCSA. So we've got to be prepared for that because it's with us to stay for a while. So let me read about um, a driver that was recently sentenced to some jail time as a result of a crash. And this was in uh, Bowling Green, Virginia, from the Associated Press. And this was dated January 23, 2013. The driver of a bus that crashed in Virginia killing four passengers has been ordered to serve six years in prison. Prosecutor says this driver was sentenced Wednesday in Bowling Green to 40 years with 34 years of his sentence suspended. 30-year-old driver was convicted last November of four counts of involuntary manslaughter in the May 2011 crash on Interstate 95. This was around Fredericksburg, Virginia, I believe. bus was en route from North Carolina to New York when it crashed about 30 miles north of Richmond. Witnesses described uh, Chang, the driver's name was Kin Yu Chang, uh, driving as erratic before the bus swerved off the interstate, hit an embankment, and overturned. A state trooper had testified at the trial that Chang nodded when asked whether he'd fallen asleep behind the wheel. His attorneys have called it a horrendous accident, and it certainly was. So this was a case, unfortunately, where um, it seems that the bus company will continue to operate under a different name, and the only casualty here was the driver. So we've got to be aware of what's going on here, and that's what's bringing so much attention to us. But again, we're seeing some action on the part of the FMCSA, and we're seeing uh, orders to shut down being issued against different carriers, both in the trucking and bus industries. So let me go on and talk about some of these low bridge collisions that we've seen recently because we've seen some of those. Now, here's an article from the Miami Herald dated December 2nd, 2012, and it's headlined, Two Dead After Bus Crash at Miami International Airport. What began as a day of prayer and fellowship turned into a surreal scene of stunned, bloodied passengers and twisted metal. This, there was the sickening sound of crunching metal early Saturday as a busload of Jehovah's Witnesses was low-bridged by a concrete overpass at Miami International Airport, peeling back the top of the vehicle, quote, like a can of sardines. Airport workers running to the scene found shocked passengers thrown into the aisle or trapped in their seats by the wreckage. Riders in the front rows were crushed, two of them killed, others seriously injured. The driver of the bus, 47-year-old Ramon Ferrero, took a wrong turn off Lejeune Road, entering the airport by mistake, then rolled past multiple yellow signs warning tall vehicles. He drove on approaching an overpass whose sign read 8 feet 6 inches. The driver either didn't see it, couldn't read it, or realized it too late. The bus stood 11 feet tall. The last thing that he should have done is to keep going, said Greg Chin, airport spokesman. That goes against all logic. Ferrero, whose driver's seat was lower than those of the passengers, was not injured. This is one of two where it's obvious that the driver was just not paying attention and may have been distracted, we don't know, but it's a terrible tragedy that should not have happened. And yet another one happened in Boston on February 3rd, and I'm going to read uh, from that article. 
Cavalry coach bus carrying Pennsylvania high school students who had been touring Harvard University crashed Saturday night as it attempted to drive under an overpass in Boston and left dozens of passengers injured for seriously, according to authorities. The crash occurred after the bus hit the Western Avenue Bridge while traveling east on Soldiers Field Road around 7.34 p.m., authorities said. Firefighters, emergency medical personnel, and state police flocked to the scene to free passengers through the roof of the crumpled bus. 34 passengers were injured in the crash, said Jennifer Mahegan, a spokeswoman for the Boston EMS. The bus carried members of the Destined for a Dream Foundation, a nonprofit in the Philadelphia area that aids and empowers youths and young adults, said Curtis Hill, a member of the foundation. Boston Fire Department spokesman Steve McDonald said it was a charter bus with students and chaperones who were leaving the Harvard area. They were doing a school tour, he said. They were heading back to Pennsylvania. McDonald said the impact with the 10-foot-high overpass, quote, pushed in the whole front of the roof. He said four of the injured were removed through the roof, and the MBTA buses were used as a triage area to treat some of the injured passengers. One victim had life-threatening injuries and was taken to Boston Medical Center. Three other victims were also seriously injured, according to Mahegan, and they were transported to area hospitals. It goes on to talk about uh, causes of the collision and the fact that the driver will be likely cited for an overheight violation. He could face more serious charges as well. He was not injured and remained at the site of the crash late Saturday night where he was being interviewed by state police. The bus should not have been driving on the road due to its height, the state police said, and they believe the driver did not see the sign stating that the bus was prohibited from traveling on the roadway. I did also read an account, uh, and actually it's here later in the article, about the owner of the company, Calvary Coach, who said that he was working to arrange a bus to transport his customers back to Pennsylvania and that he had spoken with the driver of the bus who was unharmed, and he went on to say that he believed the driver was looking at his personal or portable GPS device and therefore did not see the sign. And this is something that we have seen over and over again. Drivers being distracted by GPS devices or even by their phones and not paying attention to usually more than one sign. There are generally several signs that usually lodge. They may be in different colors to get the driver's attention to let you know that there is a low bridge in the area. So we need to be aware of these things, especially when you're driving in unfamiliar areas. This was a tragedy that didn't have to happen. But the worst part about this one, just like the one in Miami, is that the driver did not appear to slow down at all. And so the impact was much more significant than had the driver um, reduced their speed and realized that there was a problem in time. Obviously, they should not have happened at all because with any collision with a fixed object, and certainly a low bridge is a fixed object, that is something that is always avoidable, always preventable, because fixed objects don't move, so we have to drive into them, whether we drive forwards or backwards. Terrible tragedy there. Let's go on and change the subject and talk about Feng Hua. This is a bus line that travels between New York and Boston on the East Coast, one of these discount curbside companies that we hear so much about, and they've been in operation for quite a while. We've been uh, competing with them on the East Coast, and it's difficult to compete when these other companies don't adhere to the regulations and things like that. It's a lot cheaper to operate a bus company when you cut corners. Well, they've been cutting corners for years and years, and finally, the USDOT has responded. So I'm going to read from the Boston Globe, dated February 26th of 2013. The USDOT today ordered that Fungwa Bus Line remove its remaining coaches from service, leaving the troubled carrier to run reduced operations between Boston and New York using chartered buses. The order from the U.S. FMCSA stopped short of shutting down Fungwa outright, 
as the company is still allowed to provide passenger services with buses it's chartering from other providers. On Monday, Massachusetts regulators ordered Funghua to remove three-quarters of its 28-bus fleet from service after inspectors found cracks in the frames of many of the company's aging buses. State officials also asked federal regulators to intervene and remove the remaining seven buses in Funghua's fleet from service. On Tuesday afternoon, Funghua was still running buses out of South Station with passengers queuing up for the 3 p.m. to departure for New York. Quote, I travel with them all the time and have never had any problems. I don't want them to shut down, said Hector Pena of Boston as he was boarding the Funghua bus for New York City. Quote, people always say Funghua is unsafe. They've been saying that for a long time, but I've been taking it for seven years and I'm okay, said Kingsley Tan, a 20-year-old student at St. John's in New York. The U.S. agency's initial statement Tuesday morning said that it had ordered Funghua to, quote, immediately cease passenger service and subject its entire fleet of motor coaches to detailed safety inspections. Agency officials later clarified that it had ordered, referred only to those buses in Funghua's fleet, not buses that the company chartered. Funghua officials could not be reached for comment. The FMCSA said it will continue to work closely with its state law enforcement partners in Massachusetts and New York to ensure the safety of the traveling public. It's unclear when Funghua could resume service. Funghua, which offers Boston, New York tickets for as low as $15, pioneered low-cost bus service on the route, helping to drive down prices and spurring the entry of several other low-cost carriers into the market. But the company has come under intense scrutiny for safety violations. Last month, one of its buses hit two pedestrians in Manhattan, according to news reports. In 2007, a Funghua bus crashed into a guardrail at the Alston-Brighton tolls, and a driver trying to change lanes wedged the bus atop a concrete barrier, at the Western Toll Booths. In 2006, a Boston-bound coach rolled over while rounding an interstate ramp, slightly injuring 34 passengers. And in 2005, one of its buses caught one of its buses, excuse me, caught fire on a highway in Connecticut. Funghua buses have been cited for 159 maintenance violations in the past two years, including 23 instances of cracked, loose, or broken frames, according to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Its drivers are ranked in the bottom 3% of drivers nationwide based on experience and training. Drivers have racked up a dozen speeding violations in the past two years and have been cited six times for failure to speak English or operating without a commercial driver's license, according to federal regulators. State, State inspectors first discovered cracks in steering axles, motor mounts, engine cradles, and other locations in Funghua bus frames during a random inspection on February 7th. Inspectors returned over the next few weeks and found similar problems in additional buses. And this really uh, just boggles the mind, because here you've got a company that continues to operate unsafely, certainly. Drivers don't have proper training. Drivers are not properly qualified. They don't have the proper credentials. The equipment is unsafe. And as I said at the beginning, it's my opinion that you can't run a bus company uh, for 10 or $15 a head and not cut corners, and that's what's happened so at least we're seeing some response from the government, but unfortunately what we've seen in the past is that many of these companies will simply close down and reopen under another name. The only thing that we can do is continue to operate safely and obviously be aware of these other drivers on the road who may not be driving with safety in mind. Let's talk about another topic that's on a lot of people's minds, and that is DriveCam. We've heard a little bit about DriveCam. Greyhound has recently started to use DriveCam. It was initially used in our Bolt bus coaches and now it's been expanded into the Greyhound fleet and we're seeing it being installed constantly. I'm going to read an article here, February 21st, 2013. Greyhound has been 
integrating Telematics Program DriveCam across its entire fleet to optimize safety performance and increase fuel efficiency. The National Coach Service has agreed to use DriveCam in its vehicles for the next five years after a successful trial in its Bolt Bus fleet. DriveCam combines data and video analytics with real-time driver feedback and coaching to reduce cost and fuel consumption. An in-cab video captures driving behaviors for later review when it is scored and passed on to the fleet for use in coaching drivers. The system is managed through DriveCam Online, a web-based online portal. Quote, Greyhound's number one focus has always been the safe transportation of millions of passengers every year across North America, said Dave Leach, president and CEO of Greyhound. Quote, incorporating DriveCam is one more way we are able to reinforce this focus. DriveCam's fuel management solution combines real-time in-cab feedback with online reporting and coaching to improve fuel efficiency by up to 12%. The program focuses on three driving behaviors with the greatest impact on fuel efficiency or, quote, smooth driving, idling, and speeding. Using this technology to analyze and optimize human performance is becoming increasingly more common. UPS has seen notable success um, with the telematics program implemented last year, which the company claims has eliminated more than 39 million minutes of idling time and saved 260,000 gallons of fuel. So we're seeing DriveCam out there, and you can get more information about that at your location. If you have questions, please see your supervisor. Also, seatbelts are continuing to be a source of discussion for the commercial bus industry. And we've got an article here just from a couple of days ago, from the end of February, that says seatbelts likely to be required on tour buses. After years of debate, industry heel-dragging, and government in, in action, most tour bus companies are on track to outfit their vehicles with passenger seat belts in the next five years. The push has come in the wake of data showing that more than 60% of fatalities in tour bus accidents take place when the vehicle overturns. Without seat belts, passengers are often thrown from the bus with deadly consequences. The Department of Transportation's National Highway and Traffic Safety Administration said in a 2010 report that seat belts might reduce fatalities and rollover accidents by 77%. That assumes passengers would use the safety restraints. Some tour bus operators say that even when the buses are equipped with seat belts, 10% of passengers or fewer use them. Newer seat belt regulations this year are expected to require seat belts in tour buses, and many tour companies, knowing the regulations are imminent, already have begun switching to buses outfitted with the restraints. Data from the Traffic Safety Agency shows that between 2003 and 2009, 133 people were killed in motor coach accidents. In a 2010 statement, Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood said, Seatbelts save lives, and putting them in motor coaches just makes sense. The Traffic Safety Agency has issued several reports in recent years, as well as two action plans, the second of which was published last year. Many companies are way ahead of the government. Maureen Richmond, a spokesman for Greyhound, the nation's largest interstate bus company, said the company already has seatbelts in 75% of its motor coaches. Quote, we started to install them in 2008, Richmond said. We took a look at what our customers were asking for. She said, each new bus that replaces an old one in the Greyhound fleet will have lap and shoulder belts. She was unsure how much longer it would take before all of the company's buses are equipped. Other company owners say they believe a seatbelt requirement is inevitable, and they have already begun making the shift. Um, and this goes on to talk more about seat belts and the cost of putting them in the buses and things like that. But, of course, one of the issues that we continue to have is passengers actually wearing them. 
So what I say to our drivers and our employees is encourage your passengers to wear that seatbelt. Include it in your announcement when you depart. Remind passengers that Greyhound cares about your safety. And we encourage you to wear your seatbelt every time uh, you're in your seat. Obviously, we don't require our passengers to wear them, but we can certainly encourage our passengers to wear their seatbelts, and that's a good idea. So let's talk it up since we have them in our buses. topic that has been getting a lot of attention lately from the drivers is KDEC. And I wanted to take a minute to talk about the KDEC system in general. KDEC was in response to a grant from Homeland Security to increase security and safety for both our drivers and our passengers. And the KDEC unit does several things. One of the things that it does well is to keep track of your location, your speed, and your idling time. And those things are important. KDEC also provides a way for the driver to initiate a remote shutdown should there be a hostage-taking situation or a hijacker or possibly a robbery. Uh, by holding that panic switch down for five seconds, the driver can alert fleet that there is a problem, and fleet can then contact the appropriate law enforcement agencies that are in the area because fleet will know where the bus is at. Once the law enforcement uh, authorities have the bus within sight, fleet can then initiate a remote shutdown of the coach, and what will happen there is the bus will indicate on the dash that there is a malfunction with the engine, overheating possibly, and the bus will gradually lose power until the driver finally has to stop, and at that point, law enforcement can take over. That's the remote shutdown uh, capability of fleet. There's also something called secure idle. Secure idle is an effective tool to prevent the bus from being stolen or even driven by an unauthorized operator. Now, we know with KDEC in general that in order to start the bus and drive it, an authorized operator must sign in with an ID and a passcode, and whether you're a driver or a maintenance employee or even a vendor, you will have the appropriate credentials to sign in if you're authorized to do so. Well, Secure Idle takes it a step further, and what happens there is if we leave a bus idling, if we leave the driver's area and uh, someone else could not get in and drive the bus if we engage that Secure Idle function feature, so we want to make sure we do that all the time when we leave the driver's seat. And it's a very simple thing to do. If you leave the driver's seat before you get out, you tap on your driver's number, you tap on Secure Idle, and then the screen indicates that the bus is in Secure Idle and asks you to enter a passcode to uh, re-engage the bus. Now, if you don't put it in Secure Idle and you do leave the bus idling, after seven minutes, a message will appear on the screen indicating that the unit is about to enter Secure Idle and asking you if you'd like more time. And if you can simply tap yes if you'd like more time, and if you do nothing, after another minute goes by, we've accumulated eight minutes of idling time, that bus will enter secure idle. When the unit goes into secure idle mode, it simply means that the throttle won't do anything. The bus will continue to idle as long as it's running, but you won't be able to drive away. So we need to make sure that we use that secure idle every time we leave the driver's seat, get into the habit, and it will become second nature, and that will help to prevent unauthorized use and theft of our coaches. Lastly, as I said before, KDEC is a tool for the company to help monitor driver speed. So you want to be careful with that. Um, we all need to drive, as I said earlier in the podcast, we need to drive within the posted speed limits so that we don't come under the scrutiny of the law enforcement and continue to raise our score with regards to CSA. So be aware that the unit is monitoring your speed and always drive within the posted speed limits under all conditions. A few minutes talking about the hours of service rules because we've had some questions about that from some of our drivers. The hours of service regulations focus on when and how long you're allowed to drive, and that's the key word there, drive, 
by placing specific limits on the amount of time you drive your commercial motor vehicle and how many total hours you can work before you are no longer permitted to drive. And again, driving being the key word. You must follow three maximum duty limits at all times. They are the 15-hour on-duty limit, the 10-hour driving limit, and the 70-hour duty limit. The 15-hour uh, duty limit states that following eight consecutive hours of off-duty time, you must not drive after being on duty. So in other words, if you've been on duty for 15 hours, you cannot drive until you have eight or more hours off. You, you may do other work after being on duty for 15 hours, but you may not drive. You may do other work, and that's important, but you cannot drive until you get eight hours off. Off-duty time taken during the day, such as a lunch break or nap, does not count toward the 15-hour limit. Again, if you have periods of off-duty time, they do not count towards the 15-hour limit. Now, for extra board drivers, Greyhound has a 16-hour limit, which simply means that from the time you come to work 16 hours later, you must not drive any longer, and that's to prevent fatigue and to minimize the chances of a driver being up for too long and then driving. So regardless of the 15-hour limit, Greyhound has instituted a 16-hour limit for extra board drivers, and that is something just like we have nine hours off in between calls for extra board drivers as opposed to eight. That's something that the company has done to be proactive to try to minimize the chance of a tired driver behind the wheel. But obviously, drivers, if you feel fatigued, you always want to let OSC know you don't want to drive tired under any circumstances. Now, the second limit is the driving limit to 10 hours, and it states you're allowed to drive 10 hours after eight consecutive hours of off-duty, or to put it another way, you may drive a maximum of 10 hours following eight consecutive hours of off-duty. 10 hours there. Now, there is an exception. You can drive uh, an additional two hours over your 10-hour limit under certain conditions. Unexpected adverse driving conditions slow you down. You may drive an extra two hours or up to an extra two hours to complete what could have been driven in normal conditions. This means you could drive for up to 12 hours, which is two hours more than the allowed under normal conditions. Adverse conditions means things that you did not know when you started your run, like extreme snow, fog, or a shutdown of traffic due to a crash. Adverse driving conditions do not include situations that you should have known about, such as congested traffic during typical rush hour periods. And even though you may drive a two extra hours under this exception, you must not drive after 15 hours on duty. So even though you've got that two extra hours uh, exception, you cannot use those extra hours if you've been on duty for 15 hours or you've reached your 70-hour limit in the eight consecutive day period, and that's the one thing I didn't talk about, so I'll talk about that right here. The 70-hour rule says that uh, you cannot drive after having been on duty for 70 hours in any eight consecutive day period. And again, these limits refer to driving. So again, with the additional two hours to drive, that assumes that you could have completed the run under normal conditions. These were unforeseen events. And even then, sometimes as Greyhound drivers, we can get relieved along the way. Going over your 10 is a very, 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 and you can put as many varies as you want there, serious thing. We want to try to avoid that at all costs. However, there is an exception from the DOT under adverse conditions. And if you have questions about that, please consult your supervisor or consult an instructor in your location to make sure that we stay in compliance with the hours of service rules 
because those things are extremely important and we must be in compliance at all times. We've talked about a lot this month and I think that's going to do it for right now. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and encourage you to go and listen to previous episodes or you can download them as well to listen at your convenience. And the easiest way to do that is to send me an email at Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, 13211 at gmail.com and I can send you a link or you can search me out on Facebook Ronnie Greer that's G-R-E-H-E-R and you can find links to the podcast there as well everyone please have a safe and pleasant trip and we'll talk to you again next month